Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We say that about, well, he's a good person. Oh, they're, they're, really, they're really a fine, fine family. They're really a good person. That's what we tend to do. And we're not. Not when God's standard is what? Perfection. And sometimes you have to help a person understand, yeah, you may be good, but, but you ain't good enough. What does a follower of Jesus Christ look like? Can a person really know for sure that they are saved and are going to heaven when they die? Those are a couple of important questions, and fortunately, God gives us the answers. God has spoken to me and said that it's time for you to ba-ba-ba. Now, I'm not saying that God can't or won't work that way. But I am saying to you, if somebody comes to you saying that, you better make sure that what they have to say lines up with Scripture. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're glad you've joined us today for a continuation of a message that Pastor Clay started last week as we kicked off a new series entitled, The Am I? series. It's a series that will take us through the New Testament letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and is a series designed to help us see biblically what it means to say, I believe in Jesus. John lays out the evidences that will be found in the life of a person who is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us for this important series. Now here's Pastor Clay. We are uh, in the second week of a series uh, entitled the MI series. And we're going to make our way through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, because it is in those letters that the Apostle John, uh, that disciple, identifies himself as a disciple uh, whom Jesus loved, uh, the, the Apostle John, uh, in an, as an old man, he's an aged man at this point in his life, writing this letter uh, toward the end of the first century. Uh, John is going to address this issue, this issue that, that I think in the, that, that should come around to people's lives at some point or another. Am I? Am I, am I okay with God? Am I going to go to heaven when I die? Am I uh, in a right relationship with God? Am, am I making a difference? Is my life in, somehow impacting the world? I think those are questions that people ask. And so we are in 1 John uh, chapter 1. That's where we started last week, and that's where we are still again today. 1 John chapter 1, and I'm going to read the chapter to you again, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come up to speed on, on what we covered last week, and then move on to another section, okay? 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, it was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested, revealed, given to us. And what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things I write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from... What's that next word? Say it. Say it out loud again. All. I don't care. More importantly, God doesn't care. 
what you've done, how far you've gone, how deep you think it is. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Please remember that. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that word again. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. A couple of ideas that we brought out last week, and your blanks on that part are probably, uh, I think, are filled in. And we started with this idea uh, first last week. Was that the, the, one of the things we need to understand is this is a message uh, from love. This is, this is about God's love for us, and John makes that very clear in verse 4. He says, says, he says I'm writing this to you I'm, I'm ri- so, so, that, so that my joy may be made complete, our joy may be, be made complete, and so that you can experience the joy that we have in our lives. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants... The, his readers to experience all that they are experiencing as followers of Jesus Christ. So, it, it, so, and I said last week, keep that in mind throughout this letter because there are times when, when probably, as we're reading through this, and we're, there may be times when the Spirit may just bring a little bit of conviction on you, and, and you know, and ruffle our feathers. But what we have to remember is, man, this is this is coming from a motive of love. That, that's why he's doing that. And then we moved into the, the second idea was that it, it's a message from love that also said that it's a message for life. It, it's, and that's going to become clear in verses 5 through 10. We read some of it last week. We're going to read some more of it this week. But what we need to remember is that it's a message for life. It's a message for life here and now and having the life that God wants you to have, a life of victory, a life of abundance, a life of fulfillment, uh, abundance as God defines it, you understand, uh, a life that, that is meaningful, a life that is contentment and joyous, all of those things that, as I, I've been telling people for years, it's the stuff everybody's looking for, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places, oftentimes. And, and so uh, it's a message for this life, but it is also a message for the, I haven't even used this term, afterlife. It's really not afterlife, it's the real life. Right when we get there, it's when we step over into eternity. Uh, John's going to be very specific about man. If, if you're a follower of Christ, which is what you have to, to do or be to to uh, have this promise, here's what your life is going to look like here and now, and that becomes the evidence of where you're headed there and then. So it's a message for life, and the message. And he gets down to the message. We'll read verse five again in a second. But the 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 first part of the message that we covered last week was was this: God has no sin. That's how he, how he starts it out in verse 5 there. You saw where he said, um, this, this is the message. So he does his introductions. He, you know, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And so we, we explored that idea last week. Why is John starting with this? Why is he emphasizing this, this fact that, okay, God is light and this, this biblical comparison of, of light to, to purity and to holiness and to God and this, uh, this picture of darkness which pictures evil and corruption and sin and Satan. So John makes this very clear distinction. He says, man, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Why, why was that important? Why is it important that we understand that there's no sin in God. Why is it important that we see God in his perfection? And I mentioned just a couple of things to you about that. And I, I said that, first off, right thinking about God leads to right worship with God. If we're going to worship him, we need to worship him rightly. And to worship him rightly, we need to understand who he is in, in his perfection. And the second reason that I said that we need to, why it's important that, to understand that God has no sin, is, is this. I said that 
uh, right thing about God leads to right worship of God. And then I also said that we need to see God's standard for a relationship with God. If I'm going to have a relationship with him, I better understand what his standard is. What does God say it takes to get to his house, to put it in those terms? To know that I'm okay, that I'm okay with God, and that I'm, I'm going to spend eternity with him. What is that uh, standard? And we spent quite a bit of time talking about that, and we're going to explore that idea a little bit further today as we move on to the next part of the message, which is this. Here's the second part of the message that I want to bring to you this morning, and this is a blank probably you can fill in. You have sinned. Now, I could have said we have sinned because it's all of us. We, we, we all have sinned, but, uh, but I want you to see this, 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 this specific, for my life, I need to understand I have Sin. That's where John's going to begin to explore in uh, verses 8 through 10. Uh, let me uh, read it to you uh, again. And, and I'm, I'm jumping down to verse 8 because you'll, if, when you read this, you, and you may have seen it if you read through it, John's going back and forth on these ideas, uh, kind of back and forth. So I'm kind of bringing them together here in verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he repeats it again, basically. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Ladies and gentlemen, you have sin. Now, obviously, we can see that this passage is going to have... We could show that passage to a person outside the body of Christ, right? A a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor, somebody that you got in a conversation with. Uh, Matt has been telling us about uh, this gentleman that he... Uh, does online gaming with who's begun to open up to, to some questions about about God and a relationship with him and Matt's been able to engage him and share the gospel with him and, and that sort of thing you, that may happen to you from time to time as you engage people or come into contact with people and you begin to have these conversations obviously if a person's outside the body of Christ you can see where this 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 is an important message to under, understand because the the in order to get into a right relationship with God the first step is understanding that I am a sinner separated from God that I have to come to know him as my Lord and Savior. And no matter what I do in my life, it will never be good enough because we said last week God's standard is, is, is perfect. It, it's who he is. You remember, again, I know I just read it a minute ago, but again in verse 5 where he said, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So you can see the application for a person outside the body of Christ. They have to understand, hey... I. It doesn't matter how good you are or good you think you are or, or whatever else. You need to understand you're separated from God because of your sin. Here, here's the way I would, I would put it. I would say because of God's perfection and our imperfection, there is separation. That's just, that's just the basic biblical truth. Because of God's perfection, because of my imperfection, there is separation. Spiritual uh, is separation from God. Because I have sin, he does not have sin, and it's not hard to find the problem then. But, although we can see, from our perspective, we can see how a person outside the body of Christ, why this would be an important message for them, its application to that person's life oftentimes becomes difficult. Because I have discovered in my life experiences, in my conversations, engaging with people through the years, I have discovered that most people tend to think of themselves as basically good people, right? We say that about, well, he's a good person. They're really really a fine, fine family. They're really a a good person. That's what we tend to do, you see? 
and we're not. Not, not, from, not when God's standard is what? Perfection. God's standard is perfection. And, and a person has to understand, no matter how much good you do in your life, no matter how great a mom or dad you are, no matter how whatever, you are a sinner. You have sin. And the cost of that sin could not be clear. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, the wages, the cost of sin is what? Say it. Death. Death. And you're smart enough to know not just physical death. He's not just talking about physical death. Yes, that's a consequence of the sin curse. But eternal separation from God. That's the real death, ladies and gentlemen. To be separated from the living God for all of eternity. The wages of sin is death. And all of us are sinners. You see, here's, this is the problem that we oftentimes face in our lives. We tend to categorize sin. God condemns sin. God condemns all sin. But we, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not an axe murderer. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a rapist, right? That, that, that's, I'm basically a good person. No, you have sin. We categorize it. God condemns all that. As my, as my friend Al Stone, a uh, guy I went to college with, as, as my friend Al used to say, said, sometimes you have to get a person lost in order to get them saved. In other words, sometimes you have to help a person understand, wow, it, it, you are, you're, you seem like such a nice person. But you're going to bust hell wide open when you get there because you are a dirty, low-down, filthy, stinking uh, sinner. Yeah, maybe not that approach, okay? But, but, that's, but, but biblically speaking, all of us have come short of the mark. And, and sometimes you have to help a person understand, yeah, you may be good, but, but you ain't good enough. <laughs> you, you just, you're not. I'm not either, by the way. Nobody is. Please understand that. And, and so you've got to get them lost sometimes in order to bring them to a place where they say, you know what, I, I need to acknowledge my sin, confess it before my God, turn from it, repent of it, and invite Jesus Christ to come into my life to be the Lord and Savior of my life. So, easy to see. Wow, I can see the application for a person outside the body of Christ. But, this message also has very important application for people who claim to be inside the body of Christ. Now, let me explain why. When John, Because he's saying here, you, hey, you have sin. Why is this important? Well, as John writes this letter towards the end of the first century, he is beginning to deal with what was the beginnings. It wouldn't have necessarily probably been defined that way yet, but he's beginning to deal with the very beginning ideas of what came to be known as Gnosticism. Some of you heard that term perhaps before. Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, it it comes from the the Greek word uh, for knowledge, gnosis. Uh, Gnosticism or Gnostics were, were people or a group of people that believed that they were part of the body of Christ, they would say, yes, we, we believe in Christ, we believe in, in Jesus. But they also believed that, that they, had a, they, had a, they had a special, they had a secret revelation that, that Scripture didn't have, that the original apostles didn't have. They, they had a special revelation. They had a secret knowledge that most people didn't have. They're, 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 the, they're the Gnostics. They're the ones that have this knowledge. So, so you can make the application... If, if you want to be in right standing with God, if you want to have all your eggs in a row, and, or ducks in a row and eggs in a basket, whatever, wherever you're putting together, if you want to get it right, you've you, you got to come to us. You better, you better come here. You better listen to what we have to say because we have this special, special knowledge. Listen, can I just say this uh, to you? No extra charge for this. Uh, when, if someone ever comes to you, and it happens, it does happen sometimes, if someone comes to you and says something to the effect of, 
well, God has told me that you are to ba ba ba. Or God, God has spoken to me and said that it's time for you to ba ba ba. Now, I'm not saying that God can't or won't work that way. But I am saying to you, if somebody comes to you saying that, you better make sure that what they have to say lines up with Scripture. You better make sure that it lines up with Scripture and that God reveals it in your spirit. Because I've never really quite understood why God would have to say it to somebody else if I'm on my face before him asking him to reveal it to me. Really, Lord? You could tell Tom, but you couldn't tell me? So I'm just saying, just be careful with that. So anyway... These Gnostics, these false teachers, uh, they, they come along and they say, we've got this secret knowledge, we've got this special knowledge, come here, you better listen to us. You, you better. And, and they, were, they, were, they were beginning to teach the people, beginning to, to infect the body with, with certain teachings that were messing some things up. One of the areas that were, they were messing around in and messing up was the area known as Christology, what uh, theologians would call the area of Christology. I got that in there for you, Steve. Throw that in there for you, so, our resident scholar. Uh, uh, they, they were messing up people's Christology because part of what the Gnostics believed was that um, they tended to make this very clear distinction or separation between what was, what was physical, what was material, what was, what was base, and this, and this perfection up there. And so they struggled with the idea of this perfection up there coming down here and taking on this flesh. So the Gnostics would say, well, you know... Uh, Christ wasn't really a man. He was really kind of a spirit that kind of appeared as man. Or they would say uh, Christ came upon the man Jesus at his baptism, but then left him before the cross. So it, it really wasn't God who died on that cross. Christology. Heresy, that's right. And so, listen, now you can see this is why John comes out swinging in, uh, in verse 1 and, and through 3. He comes out swinging. He says, what we've seen, what we have held, what we have heard, what we have touched with our hands... He wants, he's dealing with Christology, false, false Christology from the very beginning. He wants people to understand Jesus Christ was a real man and Jesus Christ was absolutely God. So they're messing up people's Christology. They were also messing up people's soteriology. What you believe about the nature of salvation. How is a person saved? What does it take to be saved? Who can be saved? Can a person lose their salvation? That soteriology deals in that area. And quite honestly, they were introducing some screwy ideas. And to make application... Uh, specifically, as John addresses it here, they were also, along with Christology, Teriology, and, and some other areas, but they were beginning to mess around with, with the church's morality. What you believe about your conduct as a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's just as important as Christology, just as important as Soteriology, is the church's morality. What is, our, what is expected of our conduct? What does God want? Not what does sister better than you think. Not what does the world think. What does God say that his expectations are for me and how I should, could, should conduct myself as a man, as a husband, as a father, as an as a employee, as a whatever. What, what, what is God's expectations for my conduct? And, uh, and so they begin to mess around with the church's morality. And uh, Gnostics, and by the way, this is true of cults and false teachers in general, they will tend to go to extremes. They will tend to take a little bit of truth, a little bit of biblical truth, and they will, and they will run in one direction or the other with that truth until it no longer becomes a truth. But they, will, but they will sell it based on, well, you know, in the Bible it says, 
And so, in this case, in, in the area of morality, the Gnostics tended to go to one extreme or the other. The first extreme that John deals with here in verses 8 through 10 is what you and I might refer to as perfectionism. It was the idea, it was the belief that, that once you came to Christ and you began to grow in that relationship with Him, which is a biblical concept, right? I'm going to grow in Christ, I'm going to, but as you began to do that, that that once you, when you had all the knowledge that they had and when you came, you know, you came under their teaching, that you, you, each of you, would eventually, should eventually come to a place where you would simply no longer sin in your mortal bodies. You would no longer commit sin. You would reach a state of perfectionism. Now, it probably goes without saying, but this was the least popular of the two extremes that, that we will look at partly because it wouldn't, it wouldn't take 30 seconds to figure out how impossible it, was, it would be to live a life of perfection. But that's what they, that's what they, were, they were teaching, is that, no, you, just, you, you get this right, you receive this knowledge, you grow in your relationship with Christ, and eventually you're going to get to this place where you just reach absolute perfection. Now, let me give you a couple ideas and problems with this, with this false idea that they're inducing, besides the fact that it's simply impossible uh, to do. But one of the problems with this, this pushing this idea of perfectionism is that it will lead to what I would call a prideful superiority. The idea that, that somehow I'm on a different plane, I'm on a different level than you because I've been walking with Jesus longer or I've memorized more verses in the Bible or I've given more money or I've done this or I've done that. And, and, and so I've come to this place where I, I, don't even, I don't even mess up anymore. It's spiritual superiority. Listen, can I tell you this? Maybe this is just me speaking for myself. Maybe you can identify. Pride, the human ego, doesn't need much of a push to go down that road. To go in the direction of, I, I, I sure wouldn't give in to that sin, that temptation. I, I, I would never commit that sin. I, I would never do that. Prideful superiority. The, the Pharisees, for the most part, kind of struggled with this idea, certainly struggled with this idea. Do you remember this conversation, that, uh, this really a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18? You remember this? He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just spiritual superiority. That's what this idea of perfectionism will will breed. Let me tell you the other problem that will be as a result of this idea of, oh, oh, we're going to reach a place where we we just don't sin anymore. Not, Not only prideful superiority, but also harmful discontinuity within the body of Christ. Probably nothing, probably nothing is more important to the body of Christ than unity. Unity. The understanding that none of us are better than any other of us. That I'm not better than you because I've reached 
so high on the food chain of spiritual maturity or because I, I, I don't struggle in this area of my life or I don't... No, uh-uh. No, nothing causes more problems or can cause more problems to our unity than this idea of beginning to think of a person or a group of persons begin to think that somehow they are superior to, to other persons or groups of persons. It causes harmful discontinuity within the body of Christ. And listen, I've, I've said this for many years, uh, and some of you heard me say this before. I like to be reminded every once in a while, evangel- you know what evangelism is? Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Listen, it doesn't matter if you've walked with Jesus 50 years, 5 years, or 5 minutes. You are exactly the same as me. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. You come to Him by His amazing grace. We all come to Him the same way. We all have access to the exact same God, and there is none better than the other. We may have different functions and and different uh, uh, areas that we work in giftedness and talents that that God uses within the body. We may have different areas that, that, that God uses for us to work, but we are all a part of this body. There's this unity that makes us all the same. Just sinners saved by His grace. Listen to this reminder Paul gives about this, the idea of unity in Colossians chapter 3. Now, he's referring to uh, breaking down the barrier, the, the, the racial and, and cultural barriers that existed, but obviously it would also apply to anybody that, that somehow thought that they were, that they were somehow spiritually uh, superior. In Colossians chapter 3, he says this. He says, in the new life, there's no difference between Greeks and Jews. You and I cannot even begin to fathom what a radical idea that would have been to the, to the first century world. There's no difference between Greeks and Jews, those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised, or people who are foreigners or Scythians. There's no difference between slaves and free people, which such a large percentage of the world was living in slavery at that time in the world. But Christ is in all believers, and Christ is all that is important. That's all that matters, Paul says. God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you, so you should always clothe yourselves. Watch this. Look at this. Mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, here's a radical concept, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. Even more than all this, clothe yourself in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect, what? Say it. Unity. Let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking because you were all called together in one, one one body to have peace and always be thankful. Let the teachings of Christ live in you richly. Use all the wisdom and teach and instruct each other by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you know what you call that? Church. That's church, ladies and gentlemen. That's church. I am afraid it is a rare commodity in the culture in which we live today, but that is church. And that's what God is calling us to, this unity that exists between us. Now, let me say this real quickly, and we'll kind of draw this thing to a close. When we're discussing this, this idea of unity, remember this. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, okay? All right, please understand that. We, unity doesn't mean uniformity. And I, I don't know, I think sometimes people outside the church think this. I think that we all, when we come in here, you know, we, we might put on our clothes, you know, and, Drive, leave the neighborhood stuff. But when we all come in here, there's some guy waiting at the door. When we come in, handing out brown robes, and we all put on these these brown robes with these hoods, you know. And we all walk around with our hands in our robes, you know, saying you know, saying all the same, you know. Bless the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bless Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. If I have to do this for eternity, I'll be bored. I don't know. I don't know. 
you know, I, I, that somehow that we're just, uh, unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we're all the same. And thank God that we're not all the same because you're weird. I don't want to be like you. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No. No, we're, we're all a little weird, right? We're all a little weird. And, and so, that, listen, this is the amazing thing about the power of God. God is it because we, we come from different backgrounds and we have different uh, upbringings and uh, sometimes we speak different languages. Sometimes we even have different skin color. <laughs> we, we have these differences and in, in different ages and different uh, educational levels and different all this, this kind of stuff. And the amazing thing about the power of God is that he's able to bring this, this lump of just weird people, able to bring us together and operate and function in unity, to be able to operate uh, in accomplishing his purposes and his tasks, to be able to love on each other and forgive each other and, and be there for each other and support each other and, and help each other and, and do all these things. Listen, do you think the world could need a message like that today? I think maybe they need to hear something about unity. No, we're, we're, we're not all the same. It doesn't mean we have to be exactly the, the same. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, and thank God. But unity does mean unanimity. It does mean that we are in agreement. It does mean that, we're hey, listen, we're all in the same boat, sinners saved by grace, but we ought to all be rowing in the same direction. You understand what I'm saying? that we're rowing towards the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the people of God. And, and because, you know, I said we, have, we do have different, we have different personalities, we have different talents, we have different gifts. But one of the things that we also can have is different. Oh, here it is. This is one of the worst words in the English language, I think. We all have different preferences. And different preferences can drive a wedge into the unity of the church. It can well, I, I like this, or I'd rather see this, or I, I'm looking more for this, or I, I'm looking for that. Unanimity, the idea that, that, I, that I, I, man, I'm dying to myself, and I'm moving forward for the kingdom of God and for His honor and glory, and moving forward with these people that, I, that I'm going to love on, I'm going to support, and I'm going to be there for them, and they're going to do the same for me. And we're not the same, and we won't always have total agreement about everything, but we're, we're agreeing on what, what is important, and we're moving in the right direction. I, I, I've told, uh, I've mentioned this before, and, I, and I'm not picking on them. It could be, it could be a bazillion other churches uh, throughout history. But uh, Cindy's dad lives on a road in Georgia, uh, in Gainesville, Georgia, outside of Gainesville, Georgia. And, at, at, and the road that he lives on is maybe two miles long. I don't know, two, three miles long. I'm not sure, something like that. And at one end of the, literally at the one end of that road where it comes to a stop sign and meets another road is Dewberry Number 1 Baptist Church. And at the other end of the road is Dewberry Number 2 Baptist Church. And hey, and it's not a satellite campus. You understand what I'm saying? There's a split. And if, I've told this story before. Some of y'all remember this. Legend has it, this, this happened many, many years ago. Legend has it, they split over a chicken dinner. Over, over, and I don't know whether they were having some sort of fundraiser. They're selling fried chicken or something. Maybe they argued about what the recipe was or how hot the grease should be or what they should sell the chicken for or whether they ought to have fries or green beans on the side. I don't know what it was, but this is what I know. That that don't look like Christ. There's no place for that. In the body of Christ, there ought to be unanimity between us, a love for each other and willingness to say, wow, I'd rather see this, but it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. Let's, let's move forward. So, so the second part of the message is, is you, all of us, have sin. This side of eternity, there is no such thing 
as perfectionism. The other extreme that the Gnostics go to, he deals with in the verses further up, and we'll get to that next week. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you're, uh, you are incredibly patient with us, Lord. I don't know how you put up with me sometimes. We are fickle, we, are, we have our preferences, and we get our feelings hurt, and we, we, just, we can struggle with a lot of stuff. And I, I just thank you that um, you remind us that we will never reach a state this side of eternity, this side of glory, in our mortal bodies, we quite honestly will never reach a state of perfection. There's a little bit of truth in that, and we'll talk about that next week, this idea of growing in Christ and, 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 and becoming more Christ-like. That, that certainly should happen in our lives, but, but we will strum, struggle. We all struggle. We will struggle. We will stumble. We will fall. We will sometimes act in a way that is not Christ-like. We'll think in a way that is not Christ-like. We'll say something that is not Christ-like. And forgive us, Lord God, for, for allowing our flesh to take control in that moment rather than your spirit. But I pray uh, for unity within the body of Christ. The vast majority of times you talk about the church in the New Testament, you're referring to the local church. Uh, We can sit here and pray for unity within the church worldwide, and certainly we do, Lord God. Uh, But within this local body, the body that is known here locally as cross-culture church, I pray that there would be a unity. Because I I believe that unity brings honor to God. I believe unity brings the power of God. I believe unity displays the love of God to a lost world around us that needs to see a group of people, a diverse group of people, people that are not the same, whether it's their economic or financial level, whether it's their skin color, whether it's their age, whether it's their musical preference, whether whatever it is, a group of people that can come together and love on each other and lock arms and work together for the building of the kingdom of God. That's church, and that's what this church needs to be. Thanks, Pastor. As we heard today, the Apostle John was combating false teachers that were leading people astray. As Pastor Clay showed us today, we won't be perfect when we come to Christ, but we should begin to see the changes in our life as a result of our relationship with God. We begin to move away from sin as we seek to honor Him with our lives, and that becomes the evidence that we are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.